Yes, they do say that they were all taken to a far place to the east and that they were taught this civilizing scientific, mathematical and spiritual concepts to then take back to their world. And there was, they were always taken in pairs of initiates. Um, so they're priests and things. And this is the same. They would meet at these places, at this place. Um, one place is believed to be Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. And that was at 9000 BC. And then the other place. Today's conversation was with Fundamental Frequency, otherwise known as Lewis Parker. This is a mind-blowing conversation. If you really want to understand some really deep technical information on advanced spiritual and scientific principles, some advanced technology, ancient history, this is the episode for you, all right? So check out below the bookmarks if you want to go to a specific topic. Otherwise, I think you'll really enjoy the whole thing. And if you do get some value out of this, check out the Patreon. I mean, I'm just saying, but... Let's get into it. If you're already going to get into it, we might as well hit record. So, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I was just asking you, yeah, who is Laird Scranton? Because we were having a conversation, you were talking about him. So who is he? Laird, Laird Scranton is, uh, is a legend, um, to put mm -hmm. it simply. But he, mm -hmm. so like to, to give everyone a background, he is a comparative cosmologer. That is his, that is his line of work. He actually um, started off in IT, like he was a software engineer for a long time. And so uh, he has this natural ability for seeing codes and understanding languages and sort of um, connecting the dots in a way that most brains don't, you know, mm -hmm. don't put things together. Um, so that's his kind of foundation that he comes from. And then he started to look into ancient cultures and understand how all of them connect to each other. That's, that's kind of like the whole, um, yeah, his whole ethos is that everything, all these ancient cultures connect to one another. They all come from a central teaching place. Um, they all know the same, were taught the same knowledge and it's just assimilated and it's sort of distilled down into their own like sort of, um, you know, unique ways of taking the knowledge. But if you look at like the yogic philosophy, Buddhist philosophy, um, Egyptian, like you can go through basically all of them and they all are saying the same thing, the Tao, they're all saying the same thing in a different way, basically. Um, and so he looks at why that is by understanding language, um, symbolism, uh, their practices and traditions, um, and also uh, cosmology. So how they looked at science, how they taught science, how they put that into all of their practices. Basically, the way that all this information was taught, they were taught such advanced scientific uh, concepts, but it was built into their intuitive, like it was built intuitively into the way that they lived. So the way that they would plow a field or the way that they would um, conduct certain practices and rituals were reflective of larger processes at a cosmological scale, but they're also reflective of uh, like the way the atom moves or the way that electricity or magnetism uh behaves it's really really quite fascinating that's what he's kind of dug out through studying this one tribe um specifically the dogon tribe in africa he looks at because he believes that they have the most intact foundation for cosmology and science um that kind of you can see their language, they have symbols that come from Egyptian, ancient Egyptian. They have symbols that are Sanskrit. They have symbols that are um, even like Asian and uh, they have symbols and parts of their language that are Maori in New Zealand. Um, so it's like that this, this 
their language is the foundation for a lot of other languages in a way, and that's what he believes. He looks at their their whole their whole thing is that they say that they re- preserve original forms. That's what they say. They we are here to preserve original forms and original sciences and original teachings. And they believe that all these teachings came from these materialized beings that they call the fish people. And I'm sure you see in like a lot of uh, like a lot of glyphs and a lot of like ancient interpretations, you see like people that are, look like fishes or they, you know, have like the animal um, anthropomorphic uh, sort of depiction. Um, that's the same thing with the Dogon tribe is that they say at 9000 BC, there was a teaching round um, where we were taught all this knowledge. And then at 3200 BC, there was another teaching round where we were taught all this knowledge. Um, this links into the Yuga cycles and stuff as to, to Nick, like because the way Laird looks at the Yuga cycle, um, I'm sure you discussed the Yugas on here a bit before, so your listeners might be familiar with it. But um, mm-hmm. he says that like the energetic conditions of the Yuga cycle are really interesting because at the top of the Yuga cycle, you have um, like the highest amount of consciousness. This is like the golden age, like the enlightened stage. And as you come down the descending cycle, everything becomes more dense and more material. There's an expansion of the, the material aspect of our reality and a kind of compression of the, the non-material. Um, he talks about the non-material realms a lot and how to interact and communicate with that. And it's through synchronicity. Um, it's through you know, prayer and like soul connection and all that kind of stuff is like connecting with this immaterial world that manifests alongside us. And this is taught by the Dogon as well. They talk about the non-material world, but they link it into a science concept, the physics concept of superconductivity and uh, super insulation. So superconductivity means, just means that uh, electricity moves linearly in our material reality. Um, as, you, as everyone probably knows, you can't have an electric charge without a magnetic field. So their whole concept is, is that our entire universe is creating a second un- magnetic universe that is alongside us. It's like the soul of, the, of our entire universe. And that's where our counterparts live. It's like that's where the rest of us is. Um, that's where we communicate with when we go to sleep. We're taking... Laird has a beautiful analogy where he says, when you go to sleep, you're taking a breath of the non-material because you have to decompress from the, being in the intensity and the density of this realm. So that's a little rant to start off, Nick. <laughs> so that's who he is. Yeah, I mean, hey, I love it. Okay, so is the general premise, let me just kind of see if I understand this, that yeah. the Dogon tribe was like the origination of the teachings and that that was where all the teachings started. And from that place, they were kind of branched off into other civilizations. Were other civilizations taught at the same time? Yeah. So, um, no, I don't think they were the originating place. I okay. just think Laird just says that they've preserved the knowledge the best. Okay. Um, because they have their modern day primitive tribe in Mali. Like they still function the way they have for the last, you know, however many thousands of years. Um, basically they're untouched and they're still functioning. It's not like the Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian civilization that came to rise and fall. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, yes, they do say that they were all taken to a far place to the east and that they, they were taught this civilizing 
scientific, mathematical, and spiritual concepts to then take back to their world. And there was they were always taken in pairs of initiates. Um, so they're priests and things, and this was the same. They would meet at these places. At this place, um, one place is believed to be Göbekli Tepe in Turkey, and that was at 9000 BC. And then the other place uh, is meant to be the Orkney Islands off the coast of Scotland um, at 3200. So. Yeah, they say that they went there, that all these other cultures came to, they were all removed and put into these places. They were taught these things and then they were take, you know, sent back to assimilate the knowledge. Hmm. So it was like the Olympics, kind of, they all brought them together, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a yeah. sense. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but you bring yeah, the, them all together. The esoteric Olympics. Right. But they're not performing, right? They're receiving. So Yeah, they're, they're receiving knowledge. Um, there's some parallels like, there's some, yeah, the, the, the Dogon priests are really interesting. Like they, they dress in these white robes um, and they talk, they talk of stories of like these teachers that came, these non-material beings that materialized themselves. I don't know if you're into, if you've looked into Freddie Silver's work or anything either. Nope. Um, he's he's another sleep. researcher of ancient culture. <laughs> hmm. So Freddie Silver talks about the shining ones. Um, it's basically him and Laird are on a very similar path, but. They, they, some of these cultures refer to these people as the shining ones, and they say they were human, but not quite human. Um, that they had pale skin that shone in the light, um, and that's like transparent. Quite, yeah, sort of transparent, but they were like very human at the same time, um, like in the way that they, you know, talked and interacted and all that kind of thing. Um, but they had special abilities. Um, where what I was touching on the yoga cycle before, like the energetic conditions there is points in the yuga cycle when we equalize with the magnetic with the the non-material world and there can be crossover um this is this is interesting because it links into i was i don't know if you've looked into any fairy myths or the dragon myths and all that kind of stuff we've talked about some of that yeah and how like dragons and fairies have been seen you know by people and especially in the british isles and um, places in europe they document fairies and dragons and other sorts of like mythical creatures like being a part of their lives more so like in the, you know, uh, there's a lot of around like 18, 17, 1800s, like people used to see them and people's grandfathers will say like, oh yeah, like I haven't seen a fairy in like, you know, 20 years or something. But it's like they used to see them a lot and now it's becoming less and less. And that's to do with the density of our period, like what, what we're going through is a, in the yuga. Um, that's yeah, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So well, that kind of brings to me the question of how mm. much is, is it a conscious choice of the civilization because that's what some people think right i've heard the concepts that there's civilizations that essentially ascend in the sense that they literally ascend their frequency into another domain mm. is that a response of like is that a response of the environment changing or is that a response of the people changing or is it both you know what do you think um, I think it's both. I think we don't really know what happens at this part of the cycle. I think we can't see far back enough um, to to understand what happens at this part of the cycle. So we're like kind of in this like, you know, the great unknown as a species mm-hmm. of navigating like the bottom. We're at the, you know, if everybody think about the yoga cycle now, we're at the bottom just starting to come back up. So like we're at the densest, like craziest, darkest part. And the, the birth of consciousness is starting to happen again. Like this, you know, the consciousness is coming back. 
uh, I think when you, uh, it's my like inkling that the, some of these ancient cultures were able to ascend themselves because they were able to go on the previous, uh, the previous like incarnations or levels up that the earth had because the earth also has like has cycles it goes through um its own its own cycle i don't know if you looked into the work of rudolf steiner or gurdjieff or any or anybody like that the the western occultists and esoterists yeah esotericists but especially gurdjieff says that um the earth has its own cycles that it goes through and everybody on the earth like they talk about the archangels and the, the angels and the archangels are two steps above human beings and the angels and the archangels have both been here on earth in previous cycles and they've gone up and now they live at a higher plane um i think that that's something like that was happening like they went through like just the cycle that the earth goes through and they ascended up to a higher level um of existence which is a subtler level of existence than we are at now but they're still individualized um beings basically they're humans that have just evolved twice above us according to steiner and gurdjieff yeah Okay, so I've got two questions then. So when you say the Yuga cycles, we're talking about cycles. First off, just so we have a general understanding, where do you yeah. think we are in the Yuga cycle? I think that we're at the bottom and we've just started ascending. Okay. That, that's, that's according to Led, Led Scranton anyway. And I, I, okay. I, per- I personally trust his knowledge, but... Um, sure. And yeah, then my next said, question then, real yeah. quick, would be, yeah, yeah. Do you, when you say that consciousness is coming back, how do you mm. describe that? Like, what does that mean to you exactly? Well, I don't think there's ever no consciousness. I just think that the, the level of consciousness shifts and changes depending on where you are and we are in the cycle. So at this point of density, at the point of most materiality, which is what they say we're at, we can only receive so much of that like magnetic consciousness. like. Um, the Dogon tribes say that we have imperfect knowledge, but ability to ability to act, which is coherent with the idea that electricity moves, but it doesn't move with like it just moves, you know, like with with not much purpose. The purpose, and then they say the magnetic realm has um, perfect knowledge, but no ability to act. So it's like this process of us reaching out and bringing the consciousness down onto us, so that we can have more like we basically enlighten ourselves like that's the process that's happening but at the point in the cycle that we're at now it has been the hardest to do that because we don't have it's really hard to connect and and receive that consciousness so as we go back up the cycle it becomes easier and easier we become essentially more non-material and we we yeah basically we start being able to download perfect knowledge more easily um that's 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 kind of what the Dogon say. It's funny because I just put out a video today, like probably twenty minutes ago, about Plato's cave <laughs> and how uh-huh. that's that's essentially what, like the that's like what you're saying. Like, that's exactly yeah. what you're saying. I think Plato's cave is like a perfect analogy for yeah. reality right now, and it, it would make sense that it's a perfect analogy for the bottom of the Yuga cycle. So that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So actually curious just what do you think of this term i've never heard that before perfect knowledge what what does that mean so to me what i understand to be perfect knowledge or what they're trying to say is perfect knowledge is 
a complete integration of left and right hemisphere of the brain. Um, the, and we in processing things from the right to the left so that there is like an intuitive understanding or, a, or an intuitive knowing that then is translated by the left side of the brain so that then you can act on your physical reality, not the other way around, which it has been. It's been left to right. Um, to me, yeah, to me it means understanding intuition and soul guidance first, then using the logical mind to, to unpack that. So when you're looking at the world and if we're at the bottom of the yuga cycle and we're moving mm. up, what do you think are mm. some big problems that people are having right now that are related to that? I think like <laughs> you can see all the social unrest that we have. Um, mm -hmm. I think we're really at a point of, uh, and I can just see this in myself, of transcending our lower nature. And the lower nature is sex violence and all of the all of the um, animalistic tendencies which are as inherently a part of being human but we've been largely unconscious to like we can't navigate them from a place of control and poise we're more you we're more like a slave to the impulse still and that's i think we're going through a sh a real deep shadow work as a collective of seeing how our shadows playing out on a collective level and individually like i can see this within myself um on how to navigate so yeah there's lots like the war the social unrest like everybody sort of everyone fighting about everything all the time um they're just some of the themes of of this period like we're really working stuff out do you know how long this cycle this part of the cycle is off the top of your head curious um it's thousands right it, thousands like, of years you mean do you, do you mean the unrest or do you until like until when or you the just next mean this expansion like, <laughs> well they say that like they say that like the kali yuga part can last for you know a couple hundred years of like a couple unrest. hundred okay yeah of 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 unrest um in terms of like the next point of equalization that i was talking about that that laird talks about he's i asked him on my podcast i did a podcast with him right and i asked him and he said we're about six thousand years according to my calculations away from having uh, non-material beings manifest to teach That's us. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, so we're like about six, we're about six thousand years away, apparently, according to him. But they also say that time speeds up exponentially as we uh, become more non-material because time starts to act differently. Like we're not so bound to the physicality and electricity of this realm, which is linear and clocked. We start to experience time as as more of a fluid concept. So it could happen way quicker. Really don't know. All right. I interrupt the special broadcast here today just to give you our sponsor today, which is Universal Game on Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon. And on the Patreon, we go into 12 months of different topics, why the universe is a game, how it is a game, all the evidence, science, spirituality, ancient history, a lot of the things we talk about here. If you're getting value from the podcast, check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. Otherwise, let's get back into the conversation, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about gravity and maybe if we have less gravity, time will pass quicker. It's maybe it's just yeah. like, you know, the concept that this just hypothetical, right? The the concept in you know, one of my favorite movies, old one, but Interstellar, you know, he's on a different planet. A lot of people remember this. Mm. He's on a different planet and it time's going by way faster. Maybe through mm. the kind of rising of consciousness on the planet that we're going to become more aware of these primal instincts 
that when humanity's level of consciousness raises, that in turn will raise a level of consciousness of mm. essentially the entire planet, which may kind of give us a sense of we're moving quicker. We can almost speed up time because maybe there's less of that. I don't know. I've heard terms spiritual gravity be mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard that in the law of one. Uh, mm. So it's, yeah, that's interesting to contemplate. How, do, how would that, how would that like work out from a physics standpoint? <laughs> how, how do we, how does time go faster? You know? So that's interesting. I, I think, um, well, time goes fast. If from a physics standpoint, time moves faster on the quantum scale. Like if you, they, they block time or, or they, they measure electromagnetic frequencies in blocks of 10,000. So, for example, like the quantum world or the, the, the realm of atoms and particles moves at 10,000 times quicker than what we are existing at. So, but for example, if you were to shrink yourself down to that level and exist at that level, it would seem normal because you would be existing there. So it's like it's all relative to like where you're existing at that point in time. And you only experience a point of time because you are slowed down. And this links into your simulation theory stuff. You're slowed down to the point of, of basically single-pointed electricity. So um, that's sort of understanding. Like I always filter things through the um, electric universe theory and plasma cosmology. And that says that electricity is the dominant force in our, in our realm. It's not gravity. It's uh, the electrical force and the electrical force links everything together. And when you understand that everything is, the electromagnetic spectrum is waveforms and that we're immersed in plasma and ether as a fluid, um, the electricity has to move at different speeds through that medium. And then we, so we experience reality as physical because we're slowed down to a, to a specific bandwidth of frequency basically. Woo! You know, it, it hit me while you were talking. I just made sentence. The, the thought hit me. Okay, that is, that's, that's pretty wild. Now, I'm going to say kind of what came to me while, while you were in there. So, hmm. what if, you know, one of the big things we've been told for a long time is the fact the faster you move, hmm. the more time changes. Is that correct? Do you, have you heard about that? That yeah. people were talking about how you would go faster, essentially. Yeah. You know? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what if there's something to do with mm -hmm. the frequency, let's say if everything is energy, and yeah. everything has a frequency, what if mm -hmm. somehow, if if the entire human collective kind of changes into, like, a, a higher one, from a Hawkins perspective, mm -hmm. that would be, like, you're mm -hmm. shifting maybe into even logic, it doesn't have to be love, then maybe time changes as a response to how fast we're moving but we don't know we're moving faster because we're not we're not aware of how fast things are vibrating inside of us and how fast the body is it's kind of like maybe a, a thing that happens in the background so maybe that's part of it too i i kind of like yours better but you know who fucking knows uh so that's a that, that's a really interesting thing so yeah i haven't talked about the dogons before on here so yeah uh, man I'm, 
I'm glad we got to talk about that. And I would um I would be happy to connect you to Laird at some point because I think <laughs> if you got him on here, he would just blow your mind and he would just talk for an hour straight. You wouldn't have to tell him anything. <laughs> he knows his work. He knows his work so well. He's such a sweet man as well. Like he really he's just so genuine. He just does all this work on his own. He's written like ten books. Like he's amazing. Mm. How do I not know about him, man? I gotta look it, into yeah. Let give me a contact because I'd love to have him come on and just spit and just let her yeah. rip on yeah, the yeah, nature yeah. of reality because that's what I really feel like happens best. I mean, Robert Grant did the same thing and it was just like boom, and everybody's like, <laughs> yeah, you know that podcast is the, the most viewed by far, and it's like I barely said a word, you know, you know, and I think those mm-hmm. are some great episodes, and I love yeah. it. And yeah. if it's really engaging, you can tell when people. You know, I've had people on, I'm sure you on your podcast as well, have mm. had people on where you're just like, yeah, they're kind of full of it. Yeah, it's a little bit. And, you know, you're, answer, you're asking questions and they're kind of like, you're mm. kind of like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really nice when you have someone that's really well read. But here's the thing, though, just because somebody talks a lot, I feel like that doesn't necessarily correlate to how correct they are either, because people sure. can just people can just talk all they want. It doesn't mean that they're right, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um Yeah. So so, so do you want me to keep do you want me to keep riffing on yeah. this this time? Whatever you want. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Cool. There are no rules. So um <laughs> w- what was coming through for me as I was talking about electromagnetism there at the end is um uh, just for your listeners, like my area of expertise is sound. I'm actually a sound engineer and um that's what I studied at, at college and um so for a while there, I worked as a, making commercial music for like ads and digital marketing and things. And um, I wanted, when I, in my early days, I wanted to be a rock star. <laughs> I wanted to like nice. be a DJ producer, you know, that was like what I was working towards. And then I had um, my spiritual dimension started to open up a lot more. And I started to see that there was a lot more to life. And I went through a huge transformation around like how I was going to do my work in the world. And that led me to, to understanding spiritual concepts, esoteric knowledge and advanced science knowledge. Like for some reason, that's just what I became passionate about. You know, I think that happens to most people that are on the spiritual path. They start to get invested in uh, how the nature of reality, because they realize they're feeding back with reality when they're like, that's the universe learning about itself. Right. When you're in that feedback loop of downloading information. Um, mm-hmm. So to talk about sound a little bit and how it links into all of this sound is a beautiful um indicator of the nature of our reality and we see that through cymatics as it shows us like how everything is fundamentally geometry um and you know steiner called it the etheric formative forces um it so so basically cymatics looking at sound it's showing us that sound is actually three-dimensional um that sound is and all electromagnetism for that fact it is three-dimensional bubbles that emanate so it's not so much like you see sound graphed as like a sine wave um as a 2d sine wave that's not the reality the reality is is that when I, as i'm speaking to you now there's three-dimensional bubbles of geometry just like emanating out and um so through cymatics i'm sure everyone's seen cymatics if you haven't obviously look it up um you can see the inherent geometry of frequency and that gives us a huge insight into the nature of all electromagnetism which is our entire reality so it's showing us that basically everything is geometry and it's the brain and our linear point in time 
that helps us construct it into the reality that we see now. And, um, you know, in the human hearing range, we hear from 20, 20 to 20,000 hertz, which is not very much, but there's like, you know, an incredible spectrum of sound there that's available and electromagnetism. Some scientists include sound on the electromagnetic spectrum. And um, I would be a proponent of that too, because I can see how sound interacts through sound healing practices and sound therapy practice. Sound interacts with the electromagnetism of the body really, really well. So to come back to the concept before of I was talking about plasma, basically your aura, your energetic field is a giant plasma bubble around you that's being created by the electric charge of all your cells and organs and your nervous system. And so when a traumatic event or some sort of event happens to you, you create an electrical charge in response to the event in your nervous system, which then stores the information of that event in your field for you to reference. You, you hold your memories in, in the field around you. You don't hold them in your brain. Your brain is re just receiving the information from your field. So with sound therapy, we can go in and basically use what happens. So just to give you an example, what, what, have you heard of sympathetic resonance before, Nick? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of the concept of sympathetic resonance? So when two energy fields or two sound fields come into contact with each other, they start to sync up. Yeah. So yeah. if you've got if you've got static in your field, which is reflecting your traumatic event, which therefore is stopping electrical flow from flowing through your body, that's what's ruin basically ruining the geometry of your field, so that you can't be as vital as you want to be. You bring us. You can use something like a tuning fork, which is the basis of biofield tuning, Eileen Day McCusick's therapy model, which is I think is amazing. You bring a tuning fork in, which has a coherent tone, a coherent ge geometry, and then you sync that up to the static that's in the field through listening to the practitioner will listen to the sound of the fork. It can go like a dead sound or it can become grainy or it can become really sharp and loud as an indicator that there's something there. The practitioner also uses their intuition as to say like, oh, wow, there's a loud sound here. Like what happened around this, you know, the age of 20? Because understanding in the base of bifold tuning is that the outside of your field is your oldest memory so like at gestation and birth is the edge of your field about six feet from you and as you come closer to the body uh is cl getting closer to your actual age so you hold a coherent sound coherent tone on the place of chart like static charge in the field and it will sync up and start to correct the geometry and this is when people this is when people have spontaneous healing happen like in sound therapy it's because that memory has been released the electrical flow has come back and then they're actually able to have you know they say in somatic experiencing and in somatic work they're able to complete the trauma response they're able to like cry because they weren't able to or they're able to shake because they were scared or they're able to run because they couldn't run you know like a lot of the time people have these amazing spontaneous moments of healing and that is healing like allowing electrical flow to flow through the system properly Man, so here's the thing. I just got my mind blown. I need to look into this. There's a lot that I don't know, man. And that's what I love about this podcast is that I get a chance yeah, yeah. to talk to people who know about things that I don't know. And right now, yeah. Mm. So I knew that there was a, an auric field. I knew about the research on heart math and that they had, mm -hmm. they could measure a field, but I yeah. didn't know that it went that deep. And so who is the yeah. researcher behind that, the biotuning? 
Biofield Tuning is Eileen Day McCusick. She has two amazing books, uh, one called Tuning the Human Biofield. So basically a little background on her. She just she created a sound healing therapy method um, where she's basically mapped out the geometry of the auric field. Uh, she's basically worked out that the, the auric field stores information kind of like the brain has specific parts that for specific functions. So your auric field is like an arranged hierarchy and this this links into like you know theosophy and uh yogic philosophy and everything too but they they arrange it by the chakra system they say that this chakra deals with this this chakra deals with this you know like going up the system and mm-hmm. that's the same in this she actually found through clinical practice and scientific research that okay all these issues around survival and feeling safe in the body and you know uh issues if you experience like extreme trauma around like shock trauma around not being safe or you know abuse and things like that are all stored at like the hit level um and go out depending on the age um so yeah does that kind of answer your question in my other research as well i found that the the chakra the chakra system is basically the nervous system the nervous system is like the physical manifestation of the chakras um they're creating electrical charge which is creating a magnetic field if you look at the vagus nerve I urge everyone to look at a, a graph of the vagus nerve and look at where the nerve plexuses are. They're exactly where the chakras are because they're creating an electric, the electrical charge in the magnetic field that is the information processing between your inner and outer world. Yeah, so there's a lot of energy center systems. Which one do you think is the most accurate? Um, well, based on, I think the yogic one, um, based on like just the seven chakra system, uh in my experience and from like diving into this kind of work uh it seems to be like there's definitely seven nerve plexuses um including the brain you can see them <laughs> we can observe them and we can measure them too um through using electrical equipment mm. interesting yeah i that doesn't mean though that like you know that doesn't mean there isn't more and doesn't mean sure. like the the Taoist one model and um, all the other mo- the Egyptian model, all the other models aren't valid. They absolutely are. It's just like, I'm just saying that according to my knowledge, that's how I can confirm it. And that's not necessarily the way to confirm it. I'm using a very left brain approach. <laughs> that's just what you think is, I mean, it's just your opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's my there's opinion. many, um, yeah, I, for me, I really am interested in this thing. That's actually a little bit more esoteric, which is human design. And yeah, how, no, you know, I love human design. Human design kind of has not nine centers and you've got your ego center you've got your uh your traditional root uh, sacral mm. and um that one has been wild because i see it play out and i've been experimenting with it for years because i'm not one to just hear something and be like okay sure yeah that's my mm. truth now it's like let's see if the way that it says that humans are designed is that actually what happens mm. and that's the one that's the system that keeps it keeps showing like that it, it, it's pretty close, but you know, I don't mm. think that some of these older traditions necessarily had it wrong. Mm. I think that it's actually possible that there were anatomically a little bit different humans in some respect. Maybe there's some changes made. I mean, we have that long period of time where you know there's all the theories about how mm. how did the human brain size increase, and you know, mm. it's very interesting. It's like we can't even say for sure that every human has had the same anatomy and the same thing. So yeah. 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 Especially across the world and different cultures and stuff like that. But I think it's pretty, pretty similar with everyone now from what we know of. 
But, you know, there could be some people who are hiding some stuff out there for sure. I mean, I... Mm. <laughs> Universe game. There could definitely be some players in here that are mm. in different types of bodies. You know, mm. that, that's what a lot of people think. I mean, who knows? I'm not claiming it is or it isn't. Um, so I've actually been re really interested in uh, Egyptian philosophy too. Mm -hmm. And I just talked about the one of the ancient Egyptian books and the cosmogony of how it was very similar. I had a, a Patreon live last night and I talked about how it was very similar to kind of the Hindu concepts of the creation story. Yeah, uh, how there's basically one thing that created everything. Um, mm. Have are you familiar with with that in general? Yeah, um, from my from what I know about the Egyptian creation story is um, from the Shabak, Shabka Stone. Have you have you looked into that at all? The Shabka Stone. The book I was referencing was the book of knowing of creation. I think it was called, or something like that. Okay. So basically, it talks about um, the Shabka Stone, and you can reference this against what you, what your your book is. I'm not sure of the book let's that see. you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see. Um, it talks about the Egyptian god Ptah speaking the the world into being. Um, I'm not sure if that's that's similar, but it's this, mm -hmm. uh, the concept of the word is present, like right back then. Um, you know that pre but also in in yogic philosophy, they talk about Om. And um, the logos, yeah, the logos. They talk about this concept of the vibration that's that started everything. Mm. So everything comes from sound. Then would you would it be accurate? Would it be accurate to say that everything is sound, or would you say it's not accurate? Um, yeah, I think you can say everything is sound, but it includes electromagnetic. It's, it includes light frequencies as well. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's just talking about. The oscillation of and yeah of frequency basically, it's saying that it's the vibration and the pulsation of things that animates everything. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I kind of feel like you can basically the baseline is everything. You hear this term "everything is energy" a lot now, but what does that actually mean? If everything is a frequency, mm. isn't light frequencies and sound frequencies right? Is that would you mm -hmm. say that's correct? Mm -hmm. So then it's really just two words to kind of describe the same phenomenon in a different way. Because I've studied, I went to Walter Russell's, the museum for him in cool. Waynesboro, and his philosophy was everything is the, the light mind of God, essentially. So it was light, everything is light, instead of everything is sound. But I kind mm. of feel like they're the same thing, just two different ways. What do you think? Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think they are. They are basically like octaves of each other. So um, mm. I'd say that light is a higher octave of sound, just because sound is more a, a more dense is more dense. It has a physicality to it. Like in our realm, sound is like basically the pressure of the plasma in the air and the ether and what we call air molecules. It's the vibrating of that. Whereas sound is is whereas light is is more of a subtle, um, a subtle octave. It's a higher, more subtler octave of sound. Mm. So tell me about the ether then, because I've had some people come on and talk about it. I'm curious. So, <laughs> so what do you want to know about the ether? It's Does like it exist? The, some people some people don't want to say it exists, and some people say it's BS. I mean, what do you think? Well, yeah, well we have to look at like why it was thrown out, like. Mm -hmm. 
we got to the early 1900s and all of a sudden we, we'd been already had an, an etheric model for a couple hundred years or at least a hundred years before that. And we'd made some incredible elect, uh, advancement in electricity through Tesla's work and Faraday and all of those amazing science of, uh, make scientists of the 19th century. Um, then you come into the 20th century and all of a sudden through Einstein's work, and I'm not dissing Einstein at all, but his theory of special relativity played a huge part in kicking out the etheric model because it didn't adhere with his idea of special relativity at the time. Also the Michelson-Morley experiment, we all know about that, that kicked the etheric model out. Um, there's a lot of holes in the Michelson-Morley experiment. I'm a believer in the ether because it just doesn't make any sense for space to be a vacuum because how can any waveforms propagate um, without moving through a medium of some sort? But in saying that, you know, I was talking about Einstein before, in his later life, he actually did a complete backflip on that and said it was unthinkable to not have an ether. Um, so I can't remember the exact quote. I'll have to find it for you. But he did say something like, an ether absolutely exists. It's unthinkable to not have an ether. Yeah. So I think. But people don't know that. People don't know. No, that. He, we don't. They just hear the people, first statement. No, and we're still believing that space is a vacuum. And, you know, I think. Well, space even it, real, man. Come on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can. Yeah. You can that's it. You, you've taken this in a very different direction. <laughs> the response, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, sorry. I digress. You can continue on with your thoughts. Uh, I don't even remember what I was saying now. Um, I think we're talking about the ether and how nobody knows about Einstein changing his mind. Yeah, he did. He literally wrote in a lot of letters in his later life that he was completely doing a backflip on special relativity. Um, so it's really interesting um, hearing him. Well, you, know, you can find the letters, like Google Einstein letters later life, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I think so the it's ether, out there. Yeah, the, the ether. So if you're thinking about like the states of matter, we're talking about states of matter. So you have, you know, solid, liquid, gas, plasma, ether. And we've thrown out plasma and ether over the last hundred years because no one understands how they fit into everything. Or it didn't adhere to some scientist's model that they were trying to push forward. And so it got chucked out. Um, you could also get conspiratorial and say that they're trying to like, you know, they're trying to distort the reality of, of our actual reality and stop us connecting to everything else. Because once you realize that the ether condenses down into plasma, condenses down into gas, condenses down into liquid, condenses down into solid. There is this interconnectedness between you and the entire universe. You can see how everything forms itself and then you are, you are like this solid epicenter of, of that. Mm. So it's almost like by stopping scientific advancements or... Really they inhibited discovery. consciousness. They've inhibited the, the expansion of consciousness at the same time. Like, do you think that's a byproduct of materialism in general? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's completely conscious. You know, we were talking about the level of consciousness that we have at this point in the cycle. I think most of the issues that we have are just due to our unconsciousness. It's not really like there is some obviously like nefarious 
activities going on that's just hard to ignore that but there's also like a great deal of unconsciousness whereas we, we can't connect the dots properly hmm. so it's almost like making the argument that it's not because we have the nefarious things it's because we're not smart enough to see through it yeah i think i In think the nefarious tendencies naturally manifest because of the because of the lack of consciousness and that's kind of that kind of um is in the law of one too right like i know you you i listened to a lot of your episodes in the law of one it was really good and um yeah there's like when there's a lack of consciousness everything's more dense and that's where like these dark forces tend to ruminate is because there is a lack of love or a lack yeah you'd say that there is less love you know what i mean there's the choice here there's like no there's yeah. no un, it's the the ultimate playing ground of what I when I I think it's I would say free will. Let's just say that. So if we yeah. have the free will to choose yeah. between life taking or life giving, then and we can't really tell what the truth is. You know, there's been m many mystics who have said one. The problem with humanity is the biggest problem is that humans can't tell truth from falsehood. And so mm. maybe that's maybe a part of moving up in the yuga cycle. Then right, being able to tell what's true and what's not. And then also, yeah. you know, take it back to Plato's cave to be able to tell what's a shadow and what's not yeah. and what's worth it to focus on. Because it's almost like today in our society, we start promoting ideas, especially to men. This is what I see. It's like mm. they're going against the nefarious forces. So then be very materialistic and get these things. <laughs> it's like, wait, that's you're still playing their game. The point yeah. is, is to, to, to decide I'm not going to play that game anymore of materialism because that's actually just a shadow of the actual reality, which is beyond getting these things. There's a yeah. state of being by, there's a state of being beyond it, but there's also uh, truth about what's actually happening. And mm. I feel like you can't see that if you're so narrow-mindedly focused on, which I have been in my mind and in plenty of times, I'm so focused on getting things that I'm like, wait why is it that i want these because they're not inherently bad that's the video i kind of no. made today nothing's wrong with it but it's that when you need it right that's essentially the point of plato's caves that they need it they need the shadows so much that they will not leave mm. and so i feel like yeah we're, we're kind of getting to a point where we're coming out of that you know so yeah yeah, yeah. i feel i feel that that we're um at a point of realizing what is a shadow and then we're, we're at the point of realizing that we can turn around and see that the entrance of the cave leads to some light up the other side and then we're emerging into what actual reality is um mm -hmm. and that and that actual reality i think looks more like love and connectedness rather than like this dog eat dog mentality of trying to gr the hustle and the grind mentality that we're we're all in at the moment of trying to you know acquire more and more material abundance i've had a few like shifts around this in my own consciousness lately nick it's interesting that you bring it up is that you know like for a, a time like i was really addicted to the idea like oh i have to become abundant i have to you know make this much money or whatever it is and um through like not reaching those goals, I realized that like I'd never be satisfied in trying to comp all like you know continually reach like a a goal that's outside of me. It's like you have to find 
your acceptance of where you are and realize that you're abundant inherently. Um, yeah, that's interesting. For me, this is how I look at that. I, for me, it's not mm. necessarily an acceptance of what is. I'm not mm. really focused on that. It's more like I'm mm. accepting that the environment doesn't have to control how I feel now, mm. presently, mm. because I don't want to necessarily say, well, I accept that my life is shitty or it's not my life is shitty, but I'm saying in the past is what I would think. My mm. life is in a bad place. I'm depressed. I should just accept that at this point. And it's like, no, mm. I'm not accepting that that is there. I'm accepting that that's one way to look at this, what's happening in my life. Once I kind of shift the way that I'm, I'm perceiving the present moment, then I can be like, okay, well, these, these are the objectives and goals. And if I can daily say, I have put in what I feel like is the effort or work to change my perception and then also my actions to kind of be in that it's come it's kind of like if i'm playing a game right if i'm playing a game then i'm gonna be able to see well this is the end goal of the level is to maybe uh help the world in this way maybe i want to travel around in an rv or do some shit and Mm -hmm. so it's like well but but i can still enjoy this moment i don't have to accept Mm. that i feel like shit but i can change that so that's kind of how what's been helping me recently through a lot of things you know? I think that's really, I think that's really accurate. Um, I might not have explained it the way I wanted to, but yeah, I, basically, I was trying to say what you just said. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> just scratch that rest of that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I feel it, man. You know, Literally. some of the really interesting things about you, though, is that you've got a lot of knowledge of these, um, these ancient cultures, which I want to try to get to at some point. And yeah. actually go you can't go there i mean time travel yeah i mean that that too but <laughs> I, what i'm more referring to is like i want to go to uh what the remnants are and see what it's like there because i think in the west especially where i am you start to really see that this is you think that this is the only way to live and i mm. think that that's why a lot of people go over to eastern cultures and they're like oh you don't have to live this way. Mm. This is not how, you know, I have some friends that went over to India and they're like, wow, this is a spiritual based culture. Yeah. It's a little bit, you know, not as technologically advanced in some respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more difficult to drive on the roads cause they're crazy, but yeah, like you still have this sense of like what you're saying, the sense of I'm connected to the other people here. I'm mm. people are much nicer. They, they actually do seem to care about you. Versus what we seem to find now is that people are just, like what you said, trying to get ahead. And mm. maybe maybe we'll have some people come down and teach us. Maybe we won't. Who knows? <laughs> but I think well, a lot of us are starting to realize, and I feel like there is enough access with the internet that mm. we have the knowledge. It's just about, do we have enough people who will disseminate the information in kind of a, a time period where you kind of have to stick your neck out you know that's what we're mm-hmm. doing here a little bit you know some of these concepts that we're talking about are not accepted by certain people yeah but yet that's really how society moves forward isn't it you propose that these are ideas then what's the evidence and you keep going you know that's right i um i don't know if you uh are familiar with the concept of uh, like Joe Dispenza's concept of consensus reality and sentient reality. Like, have you heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. So like 
at the consensus reality, which is like the le- level of the ego programming, like I can get all upset and fearful and worried about talking about these types of things as to like how my images or going to be se- how am I going to be seen or are people going to talk about me or you know am I going to be judged? But from the sentient reality, which is like the soul perspective, it's like no, this is the way I am loving everyone is by spreading this knowledge and you know these discoveries that i've made within myself that have lit me up you know and so that i can i'm sharing that with the world and that's the that's the sentient reality beyond the consensus reality Hmm. wow yeah i mean that is what it is right yeah because there is definitely a way to look at it where you're like damn you know the science community is gonna Try and shit on me. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's um. Oh, I heard I something really. I heard something really, really good the other day, and it was. Oh, it was a man. He was talking about. I forget his name, and I feel bad that I forget his name. He's like a relationships coach, and um, he's one of those like super deeply embodied masculine dudes, and it, like you know something that I go wow. Like I hope I can be that like that stoic and still one day. Um, but he, he was basically set talking about Christ and the crucifixion of Christ is like a metaphor for everybody basically chasing their dreams. Like you can't gain or be reborn into Christ consciousness without going through your own crucifixion of basically like putting your neck out there, like you were saying, and, and dying on the cross <laughs> of your own expansion. And then, yeah, you come out the other side, basically untouchable. Hmm. yeah how i kind of look at that is listen hmm. nobody's hmm. gonna remember who what our names are between yeah, a thousand right. years yeah who gives a shit what these hosers think about us because in the end they're just <laughs> gonna forget they're gonna forget about us and you know what i can say if we are in a game and i look at i look back at this hmm. game i'm gonna be like hey bro. i did it though i did it though even when people were talking that smack i did it hmm. And I feel like that is what you're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. It's like, we could say that we did it so that even if it doesn't go a certain way, it's like, well, I still have the understanding that I feel like part of the game is not necessarily to change. Maybe if it is 100 years before we change the culture. Okay, mm-hmm. well, then part of the game is probably going to be like, what is your own soul's evolution and being able to speak how you really feel? I feel mm-hmm. like that's a huge thing that people kind of underplay just the the ability to really just get on and talk and yeah. say you know this is this is how i see reality even though it's going to differ from other perspectives so i think it's a real advantage that if we can start not caring about how it's received but just taking the intrinsic fulfillment of actually doing it you know yeah yeah that reminds me of um I don't know. Are you familiar with Paul Check's work at all? Um, Paul Check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he talks about the "I we all" concept, and um, yeah. As you were speaking, then it just reminded me of that as like you're on your own spiritual journey, which is the "I." Like you're on your own personal spiritual development journey, which then the fountain sort of overflows into the "we." And how does that interact and affect your immediate family, friends, lovers, community around you? And then that overflows in how does that affect the world at large? You know, it's mm-hmm. like you can't go the other way. You can't feel we, or you can't feel all we, I. Like you have to go through your own spiritual 
uh, expansion first, and then that starts to trickle into the rest of the world. Yeah, imagine if, just imagine with me for a second, that the design of the game is that mm. you're, you're, you have to get mocked, and that's how you complete the level. You have to get, have people judge you. It's like, yeah. that's, that's how you complete the game. So all these people are like not sharing their truth because they're like, I don't want to have this happen. But then imagine that you get mocked your whole life and you're just saying how you feel it, and it's just, it is what it is, but you really feel like this is the truth and it ends up actually being the truth. And then you get out the game and then uh, what people might call spirit guides or angels is in different cultures, whatever it might be. Archangels, right? You, you were talking about earlier. Yeah. What if they're just like, nice, you actually completed the game this time. Way to go. And so that's what I think about sometimes. It's like all this shit that I have been worried about in the past. And I feel like it's just it's just part of, you know, Joseph Campbell with the hero's journey. It's just part of all of it. You know, yeah. not knowing what's going on, kind of starting to figure it out, being like, OK, yeah, sometimes we might be full of shit, but we're trying and we admit when we're wrong, which I think is important. Well, I do. I don't know. But you have, I can't speak for you, but I'm saying I try to admit when I'm wrong for sure. And I have yeah. admitted when I was wrong in the yeah. past. No. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you there. I <laughs> Imagine like, if you're like, I don't admit. <laughs> I don't agree. I'm nah. always right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I kind of said shit for that, didn't I? My bad. Yeah. My bad. No, I, uh, I definitely agree. We need to take accountability for when we're wrong for sure. And um, it's more about understanding each other's pain and, and uh, finding a resolution or um yeah resolving the con resolving conflict should be the goal not being right um <laughs> that's getting into the realm of relationships but also we were talking about societal that issues <laughs> yeah. you yeah. can go so many different places i know i'm starting another <laughs> podcast <laughs> but that is literally you know that's a rabbit hole for sure because then you can start talking about mm. you know, the whole facts don't care about your feelings Right. So is that is that how we should look at it? You know, is should we more focus on the facts? Should we more focus on, um, you know, dissolving tension? Because here's the thing. If we focus too much on trying not to hurt people's feelings and shit like that or mm -hmm. whatever it might be, then it becomes like an echo chamber and we're just living in an illusion where sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like even with this stuff we're talking about, we got to just come out and say, hey, you take mm -hmm. it how you want. and it isn't my intention to upset people, no. but it's it's inevitably going to if we're in a world where everyone has differing opinions, you know? That's right. And I think, um, I don't know if you've experienced this like in the comments or anything like where someone gets offended by something you've said or they're getting Are upset. Are you kidding me? You can Every day. Yeah. <laughs> you can still have... You can still have compassion for that person and understand that like they're they're going through some intense pain. They're experiencing pain from the thing that you've said, even though that wasn't your intention. And you can be compassionate to that. You can be like, okay, I can see how hard this is for you. And oh, I can see that the way you're filtering your reality, yeah, that would ca cause a lot of distress or, you know, anxiety for you. Um, there's a really good relationships coach named um, James Gill. He's an Australian guy. Everyone should look him up on Instagram, but he has a beautiful way of kind of saying like in in upset between people um yeah there's it's an opportunity to understand how that person is perceiving pain and therefore you can open your heart to that person of like oh okay 
even though I didn't intentionally try to harm them, they've experienced it as harm. And so now I can feel empathy and um, compassion for them. And when the other, when the two people in relationship doing that, that's when you have like a really beautiful thriving relationship. And that's what I hope that we move towards some level of that at a societal level, right? So when you talk about the different sides of the brain and as someone who moves between mm. both sides pretty proficiently, I'd say, what mm. are some tips you have for someone who is maybe really logical that wants to move more, maybe more into the other side of the brain? Um, I would say like, learn music um i in my experience like i've i was i've more dominantly right brain i've actually come into using my left brain more in the last like 10 years or so um but i'm naturally like a creative kid i was a little i was an artist and like i played music and like that was what i was naturally good at but it opens you up to like flow state and things that are beyond logic and that's when you start to understand the reality that's beyond like your logical mind. Um, so yeah, opening yourself up to things that put you in flow states, uh, I think really help expand your ability to understand the right brain and how the right brain works, art, um, any sort of therapy that, um, that is beyond, yeah, anything sort of therapy that's beyond lo the logical mind. Yeah, music, art. What else, what else could you do? Um, meditation. Meditation is beyond the logical mind. It's all about like mm -hmm. sort of watching, watching the mind, um, energy cultivation practices, getting into like sync with qigong and things like that, understanding and feeling the flow of energy through your body goes, is beyond the logical mind. Okay, so this is going to be kind of random, but as I keep thinking back to the fish people, bro. <laughs> I got I to gotta go back to it for a second. Wait. Fish people, yeah. Are we talking about Atlanteans here? Or do you think that that's what that's referring to? Do you think that's referring to extraterrestrials? Because you then then we talked about humans. Like I just want to I want to kind of go back a little bit. We're here because we were talking about also I want to make sure I got this correctly. We were talking mm. about humans that had looked etheric in some mm. sense. So those are different teachers. Yes, no. Yes, they they're different. Um they, they, they say that they're non-material beings, human but not quite human. So, I don't, so that suggests to me that, yeah, they must be extraterrestrial or of some sort. Or they live in a subtler realm to us, like I was talking about angels and archangels before, and they were able to materialize themselves. Like you have all these examples of, of avatars, you know, like Babaji and like all these masters that were able to materialize themselves and do amazing things, you know. So... It could be that. It definitely sounds like. It, uh, who knows? It sounds like aliens, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what's your thoughts on aliens and extra extraterrestrials? Do you think they're they're here, not here, they don't exist? What are your thoughts? No, I think they I think they exist. Um, I just think that they live in subtler dimensions to our density, so we can only perceive them at certain times and when they want to be seen. Um, I think that they're more in control of reality than what we are. I think we're very like sort of bull in a china shop type. <laughs> we're very much like just plundering around down here in the third dimension, like not really understanding our full power.
So how do you think that we manage technology then without getting overrun by it? Because I feel like this is kind of an issue that's happening right now in our society. Yeah, well, I don't know, Nick. Um, I think we are being overrun. <laughs> that's a great by answer. It. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think we are being overrun by it, though. And um, it is concerning. And, um, you know, I was talking about electromagnetism and geometry before, like all of the EMF, like all of the electromagnetic radiation that comes from these devices and routers and things are all having an impact on the body. I was talking about how sound, like something as gent, like sound is actually quite a gentle form of like radiation um, that can be used for good. And we've learned to use it for beautiful things like music. Um, not to get into the debate about like music that's bad for you, but like um, these types of waveforms and like at the intensity that they are functioning at, yeah, it's having an effect on the cell. It's it's like you can't even I can't you can't argue with it. In my opinion, it's like all of these things are having a real big impact on our bodies and our ability to connect to uh, the earth, and um, that's the main thing like you need to if you talk about like like the definition of cancer is like a cell that doesn't recognize itself it recognize itself as the whole organism anymore so it starts to replicate on itself and go crazy i think like as a species like we're we're doing a very good job of disconnecting ourselves from the whole and then replicating on ourselves and like that's that's like the hustle culture and like the fighting and all that kind of stuff that we that we're in um so where do we start? Enlighten yeah, where, me. Where do we start? For me personally, it's just like grounding myself in like my everyday life, like going down and connecting to nature. And I'm so lucky I live right next to the ocean here in Australia and I can just go down and surf and be in the water. And that's actual reality, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I was talking about EMF before and probably scared everyone, but like there is solutions to EMF. Like I think we need to, it needs to be first recognized at a large enough scale that we need to do something about it. But I don't know if you've looked into biogeometry or anything before, Nick, um, Dr. Ibrahim Karim's work where he, he's really reversed and engineered the science of of shape basically and understanding the frequency of different shapes and how they harmonize and influence the field, the body and the body's field. Like I was talking about sound influences the body's field before. So does shape and so does color. Um, so we can use different geometric shapes and colors to help harmonize these electromagnetic frequencies so they become either favorable or neutral to the body. Mm. So there's, there's that, that that's a good start, but I think it happens on like a personal level. Like you have to personally take responsibility for your own life. Of like I'm no very I, personal responsibility. Yeah, God, I'm the so, I'm a sovereign human <laughs> being who has control over my own life, and I am going to look after myself. Um, and yeah, I think that is what creates creates change. Is everybody making change to look after themselves? Yeah, and I mean, I don't mean to downplay that by any means, but it's like it's such a time time worn message, but yet it still reigns true. Yeah, it's like you actually do have to take responsibility for where you're at in your life, what's happening in it, and That's where you can will, go like from there. Saying. That's what true free will is, right? It's like realizing that you're. It's scary to realize that you're responsible for your entire life. Like I, 
freak out quite regularly over the fact that I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life. But um, that's well, I the- don't know about everything. <laughs> I don't know about it because there's a no, lot. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a I'm lot. like, I didn't do that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no <laughs> shot that that's because of me. Yeah, but- it's, it's a lot. There is a lot that um that we can take responsibility for and uh and that's the process of deconditioning and that's the spiritual process again yeah mm-hmm. so what do you see uh as a role in your life uh, as someone who's interested in in science are mm. there any that you feel like are some advanced we've talked about some of them but are there any scientific concepts that really stick out to you as like this isn't talked about enough uh, whether it's a scientific advancement on spiritual concepts mm. or maybe it's a certain tech is there any that kind of stick out yeah so we were talking we've talked about the dogon and their philosophy and we've talked about science and how they link together they were taught these ancient cultures were taught science as spirituality like there's no separation it's like you're connected to everything and everything else through these processes and through like you know like we were talking about the etheric model before I think in terms of science concepts, the etheric model is super overlooked um, and answers and fills in the gaps for a lot of things that we're like scratching our heads around. And it's like, well, obviously because there's an ether. <laughs> and like in mainstream science, it's consciousness too. Like they don't recognize consciousness as being like a factor in all of that. So yeah, the, this, the bridge between spirituality and science is happening, but they're not separate. They're and like we're starting to see connections, but they've never been separate. It's just that we've only chosen to look at the hardcore materialistic uh, side of it. There it is, man. I kind of feel like that's a good place for today, man. I feel like we had a great discussion, you know, conversation about a lot of different things, and we'll kind of let people soak that in. And mm. uh, yeah, thanks for coming on today. And what do you got going on? Like, first off, if you want to find him, I will yeah. put the link to your everything you got going on below. Mm-hmm. But what are some things that you're doing right now? So, yeah, if um, my name is Lewis Parker, by the way, and I'm sure Nick will <laughs> have done a, an intro. Um, I no, run I have in- to. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, you have to do a really good <laughs> intro. Um, I, I have an Instagram where I post all of my stuff and uh, it's under the name fundamental frequency. So the handle is at fundamental underscore frequency underscore. And um, yeah, I talk about the power of sound healing and I talk about, and I have a podcast, which is the fundamental frequency podcast on all platforms. Um, And yeah, I talk about this kind of stuff that we talked about today, science, spirituality. Um, Obviously I'm sound engineer and a musician. I make music um, and I'm hoping to launch some shows locally here in Australia and I'll have them available um, to buy as like sound sessions. It'll be like, I don't know if anyone's into like East Forest or people like that. I'm wanting to do those types of things in my local community here, like lie down, immersive ambient electronic music experiences because that's my background. And that's my offering to my local community, but I will offer something like that online as well. Um, And then, yeah, I'm working on uh, a workshop currently which talks about discussing um, how sound heals the body the electric universe model, plasma cosmology, and brings it all together. Um, I don't know when this is going to come out, Nick, but hopefully my workshop's out by next then. Next week. I can, nah, it won't be out by next week, but it will be. <laughs> look, 
look out for it if you follow me i'll be holding workshops soon on how sound heals the body so um yeah that's some of the stuff i'm working on um thanks so much for having me nick it's been really really nice to to chat to you again after you came on my podcast yeah, I was just going to say, I was on your podcast. You should go check out his podcast for sure, because his podcast yeah. is legit. He's got a lot of great conversations on there, and I would highly recommend it. The link with that will be down below on wherever the hell you are deciding to listen today. Other than that, uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. We'll see you in the next episode of Universal Game. And until then, mm. peace. Kind of like the sound, right? Kind of like the sound. Om. All right. Hey there. If you enjoyed the conversation, help keep the ship afloat by checking out our wonderful Patreon that we've got here, folks. I'm telling you, it is the shit. It is something you're not. It is not shit as in <laughs> it is not. OK, listen, check out the Patreon. I think you'll really enjoy the, uh, the content we've got over there. I'm telling you, it's legit. I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out 12 months because I really wanted it to be a place where we can understand the concept of a game in a deeper sense. And you could, so if you wanted to support the podcast, my work in general, you could do so on Patreon. So we're talking about science, spirituality, ancient wisdom, a lot of the things that we talked about today, as I kind of mentioned earlier, but check it out. Link's going to be in the description. I'll see you in the next one. Until then, peace.